Hi guys, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast in partnership with Koan, the dedicated OKR platform. Today we're bringing you another episode of our OKR toolkit and we're talking all about values and culture and why it's so important to focus on these areas when it comes to the success of OKRs. So with me today, I have Georgia. So Georgia, can you introduce yourself to our listeners, please? I can. Hi, everyone. I'm Georgia Parker and I lead the OKR culture practice for Derby Giants which means I generally get to intervene slash interfere in uh, OKR implementation when we're really working around the human aspects of leading people through change, essentially. Perfect. Thanks, Georgia. So values and culture. Hmm. First off, what's the difference and what do we mean when we say values and culture? Well, that is a very interesting (laughs) question. The fact that we even need to ask that question uh, indicates the range of answers that are possible because it means different things to different people in terms of the lived experience that we're having. So generally, though, we tend to describe culture in a shortcut way as being how we do things around here, the way in which we as a team or as an organisation work together, organise ourselves. Um, But of course, that can be both conscious and unconscious, and much of organisational culture is, is often unconscious, mm. as in it's sort of patterns of behaviour that, that people have gotten used to over time and newcomers join in and slip into kind of before they've even realised it. And we often learn that quite informally, as well as through our sort of induction or onboarding training, when we're presented with perhaps the company values. So values are the things that we as individuals or as organisations um, we value them. They, they matter to us. There are priorities. Mm. And typically in organisational culture, um, we define and publish and, you know, share our organisational values um, because they somehow, they represent what we want to stand for or what we believe we do stand for. However, in practice, it may well be that actually other values unconsciously are driving behaviour more than the the explicit values that we're making known to people. So, you know, culture and values can encompass a huge amount that can really vary actually even from team to team within within organisations. So the key thing about all of this work around culture and values is dialogue and discussion Mm -hmm. and not making assumptions. We have to, to to really get into quite detailed conversations about what this what this particular word means and how we want to apply it in our culture as a values word. Yeah, and I suppose for values as well, like you say, what this particular word means, it might mean that it means something for you, it means something for me, and it means something completely different for someone else. So it's being clear, like you said, exactly. what that means for the organisation. Exactly. Yeah, and that's why we we tend to make lots of assumptions that you and I mean the same thing when we talk about, for example, independence. Independence isn't isn't, um, a typical organisational value, but it's often a personal value for people. Um, But what independence means, say, when you're 14 years old or 24 years old or 84 years old, you know, the essence of the word is the same, but the practical application is very different. And the behaviour that goes with that is very different. So our values personally 
do change and grow with us throughout our lives. Um, what we value and prioritise, you know, in our early 20s might be very different to in our early 50s because we've we've lived longer. Mm. Um, And the same thing happens in organisations. So organisational values can become out of date because the organisation has, you know, moved or grown or shifted in some way. And therefore, there, there becomes kind of a cultural mismatch between who we say we are you know, in, in terms of our website, the posters we might have up behind reception or whatever yeah. that say this is what we stand for, but actually the behaviour might be quite different. Yeah, absolutely. And I it think, can be a mismatch. Yeah, so one of the things I wanted to touch on, I'm kind of, kind of link mm. a couple of questions to you now. So we've obviously mentioned there about how people talk of values and culture from an internal perspective. Um, but I suppose in contrast to that you started to touch on it there about websites and posters behind reception how important is it to amplify your organization's values and culture to your audience as well or is it just simply for internal reasons no I think it needs to do both yeah Um, and a good set of organizational values that have been worked through uh, with an organizational engagement program will encompass both values that have meaning internally and those that have meaning in terms of kind of customer facing or external values, but can be applied in both settings. So organisations that um, choose only values that they kind of want to show to their customers are probably really missing something about what matters to their people internally in terms of how we do things around here. Mm. And of course, what's experienced on the inside of an organisation will show up on the outside with the customer. I mean, anyone listening to this can think think of examples of bad customer service mm. that you've had over the years. And I wouldn't be surprised if all of those organisations that we might all be collectively able to name at some point in their history or currently will have something like quality or customer (laughs) service or putting a smile on a customer's face, some kind of values word about that behaviour that they want to engender in their staff. And, you know, from experience, I know if you go into that organisation and dig behind the scenes, their staff probably haven't got a smile on the face. Yeah. And probably aren't feeling held in, in, in high esteem so we have to really determine determine what the values actually mean in behavior terms i.e what are you and i going to do as employees of this organization every day to bring this value to life so i always really recommend take the values word teamwork independence customer service quality whatever it may be and, and bring it to life through dialogue. Okay. And you may have different uh, word sets, if you like, that are for internal use and external use. So here's, here's an example. Um, respect is often a value that organisations mm-hmm. choose. Um, but what does respect mean to you? What does it mean to me? If I'm to be treated with respect, that might be quite different to how you would like to be treated with respect. There are some common courtesies that we would kind of accept and understand. But for example, um, in the kind of client world that I work in, a values description would be something like to bring respect to life. It could be for me, it would have meaning. I will take into account 
others' perspectives in meetings, listen before making judgments, and be open to dialogue and discussion. Mm. That, for me, is respectful behaviour. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, if you're in the army or the royal family, you call your seniors sir or, or mom and you curtsy in front no of the queen. No matter what, yeah. <laughs> you know, we've learned that from Megan, haven't we? She had to learn how to curtsy. And that is a demonstration of respect in that particular culture. And an omission of that, someone failing to do that, would be seriously reprimanded or it would be very noticeable mm. behaviour um, and perhaps strong consequences with it in, in a way that, you know, in our organisational culture, that we'd, we'd, that isn't a sign of respect. Mm. So there's a lot in this to kind of unpack. And I always encourage organisations not to have those sort of waffly statements like, we aim to treat our customers respectfully. Or we will try to. Yeah. You know? Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like how we write OKRs. Yeah. We want something punchy and meaningful. And deliverable, yeah. And rather deliverable. than kind of we'll try. Yeah. And, and that we can be individually held account to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I could have feedback about whether I was listening before making judgments or did I seem open to dialogue and discussion as well as, you know, yeah. noticing that behaviour in colleagues. Yeah. Does that make sense? Real makes real sense, yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that I was kind of thinking when you were talking about it is um, it's all well, especially from my kind of point of view as someone that works in marketing, it's all well and good putting these words and these phrases onto posters and to websites and everything like that. But people will quickly find you out if that's not actually how exactly. your organisation is run. So Exactly. Um, so what's very interesting about working with values in organisational culture is when an organisation chooses or has to, for whatever reason, goes through a a, a values review or a refresh or is a new organisation starting from scratch, the values that people call out as being important in that place of work are very often the things they are not experiencing enough of and want more of. Mm. So teamwork's a good example or open communication. When people choose those words and say these things matter to us it's because they want more of it Mm. um and that is then a quite a subtly different message to what we might want to say to customers about how we will communicate with you you know Mm. yeah so really interesting dialogue yeah really interesting you mentioned dialogue teamwork and communication because the Mm. next thing i wanted to touch on was when it comes to okrs Mm. how can culture kind of affect their success yes um massively make Mm -hmm. or break in many ways and there are you know all kind of all shades in in between in terms of the impact that that culture and and the organizations either current or you know their unconscious values will will have um i think the key thing to say is that okrs have a set of principles go with them that are Mm -hmm. actually values transparency accountability agility so on and we take those words And we can still make lots of assumptions about what that might mean in our clients or in in the organisational context. And we need to unpack that too. So, you know, transparency is a really key uh, piece around OKRs. Everyone can see what's going on. No one's excluded. And yet, if something were commercially sensitive, how do you handle that? You know, it's not necessarily everything is is transparent and if we take transparency to the nth degree we potentially overwhelm every single person in the organization with far more okr stuff than they 
need to know can handle and you know it can have the opposite effect so a, a, a value is just a word until we define how we want it to mean what we want it to mean in working together koan is a purpose-built solution for managing your okrs helping your teams achieve their objectives getting them aligned and absolutely helping them stay engaged Sharing spreadsheets simply doesn't scale when you're trying to grow a business. With Koan, you can scale OKRs across your entire company whilst keeping the teams motivated and moving in the right direction. Now, Lawrence, there's lots of things we love about Koan, but tell me one of yours. So I've got to say one of my favorite things is that Koan just allows you to have a bit of fun with the OKR process. Yeah. Um, in in series two, I think it was episode three of this podcast, we actually <laughs> spent about half an hour, forty minutes talking about the importance of making OKRs fun for your team. Yeah. Um, and and Coan allows you to do that perfectly. Yeah. You know, even just things like adding a, a gift to to your reflections adds some real personality. And I think I probably waste far too much time each week looking for the perfect gift, to be honest. But. <laughs> It, it allows that fun throughout the organisation, and that's something that's really important if you're going to keep people engaged. You are known for having the best gifts Thank you in, very much. in the team, definitely. <laughs> so if you would like to find out more about how to make OKRs fun uh, whilst using a great system, then pop along to uh, koan, that's K-O-A-N dot co forward slash giants, where you'll find also a great paper that we co-wrote with them on how to build accountability and collaboration using OKRs. It's almost like the, the values and the OKRs very much fit together because, like we always say, like you've just said, the values are going to be different for each organisation. Even if it's the same word, they could potentially mean something different. Yeah. And that's the same with OKRs, isn't it? Like, oh, yes, there's a set of principles when it comes to OKRs and 80% might be the same across every organisation. Mm. But there's always going to be that flex where it's a little bit different for when yeah. and how it's kind of yeah. applied, really. Yeah. And this is why OKR implementation, like any significant change programme in an organisation, takes a lot of time, mm. particularly from you know, leaders and senior leaders in getting clear and getting aligned about what we mean here yeah. so that then we can demonstrate that in our behaviour because that is what gives us the strongest clues about how we do things around here. You know, leaders and managers cast a shadow in the organisation, whether they're aware of it or not. So, um, you know, a leader that then appears to others to do something that's, you know, contrary to that value and yeah. the behaviour we've just described, then just undermines it. And what people learn is, ah, no, really what we value around here is hanging on to my own agenda, hanging, winning the battles, you know, building my power base within the organisation, as an example. Almost like the hidden agenda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of what's under the surface. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if someone's listening to us having this chat today mm. and they're thinking, I'm not sure whether we've got a culture problem. Is there any kind of signs they should be looking out for? Well, the fact that they're even thinking, I'm not sure whether or not we've got a culture problem is probably a first Maybe. sign. Yeah, so, you know, our own experience and our own feelings about going to work, being at work, is, is a big indicator. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's probably easier to spot and notice the sort of unhealthy aspects of culture, mm -hmm. because when cult culture's healthy, you know, most people are able to really enjoy their work, 
they're they're engaged, they're productive, they're committed to it. We don't we don't notice things going well as much as we notice things not going well or not working so well. So, you know, people who are prepared to speak up but not in front of their manager sign of something going on culturally perhaps Mm -hmm. people not turning up on time for meetings or they haven't actually followed up on actions that they committed to or there's some you know reason why they haven't that says their priorities are elsewhere could be all sorts of reasons for that but it might be that culturally you know the message is other stuff matters more than okrs maybe Mm -hmm. or everything matters equally which is very challenging um you know, clearly people's sort of mental and, and emotional well-being, how they're feeling, whether they're in overwhelm and, you know, constantly feeling that they can't get on top of workload and suffering as a result of that. Um, if it doesn't, you know, it, it obviously tips into psychological safety. If it doesn't feel safe to be yourself mm-hmm. at work, to speak mm-hmm. up, if you don't feel included or welcomed for the person that you are or the team that you are, uh, can you be truthful? Can you tell the truth in your organisation? Um, and then there's all the other sort of harder measures around what the data is telling us, like um, sickness absence or, you know, uh, complaints coming in or disciplinary matters, as well as the financial stuff. You know, what do the figures look like? The reality is it is very difficult for, for any business, I believe, to sustain healthy financial performance with an unhealthy culture for for you know a significant period of time without a lot of staff turnover because people get burnt out and get fed up and move on so you can keep the unhealthy culture going as long as you keep bringing in new people who give what they can until they can't give any more and then off they go so high churn in staff numbers can be a sign as well as can no churn at all so if no one ever wants to go anywhere else you know, we reduce the the ability to bring in new ideas, new yeah. influences, and we all start to think the same. That's not necessarily a healthy culture, even though people may have identical values and really shared understanding of it. It's become a closed loop. So, yeah. Do you think um, with obviously the current kind of situation we're all in the last 12 months, the kind of blurred lines between being in work and being at mm. home, yeah. do you think that's impacted more on kind of organisational cultures with people maybe not having the space to speak up in situations because it's all done on Zoom or not having that switch off when it gets to half five and the kind of the blurred yeah. lines, basically. I, I think it's impacted people in all sorts of ways that many people maybe haven't even noticed consciously, but the reality is for people who are working from home perhaps for the first time or far more frequently than they might have done an odd afternoon here or there, um, you are now in your own home culture. Mm. Whether you live by yourself or you live in a family unit or whatever your living arrangements are, you're not in your place of work. So the, the geographic location acts as a marker between, oh, I now step through the doors of the office building and, you know, this is the accepted behaviour. You know, you don't, we don't go into work drunk or in our pyjamas. I'm not suggesting that people turn up in Zoom call drunk, but they do. I mean, certainly we all do in pyjamas from the waist down. So already just that as a little example shows a blurring of cultural lines, if you like. And of course, some people in their home situation have got no space to work properly or they've got young kids around or, you know, you're working on something and other people can hear 
um, many people don't like online meetings at all mm. and therefore don't contribute. So, yeah, there's a whole load of stuff that's impacted on organisational culture in the last year. And I think those organisations who have really paid attention to that, stayed close to their people, checked in with them lots, mm. will have anticipated and, and understood better what was happening to their culture than those that have not not done that kind of engagement and checking checking in work with people yeah and like you say I think there's a lot more like a lot more going on externally for people like you say could have kids at home or anything like that which needs to be taken into account when people are considering the work environment just think it's really interesting last Mm. 12 months really when it comes to all this kind of topic Mm. um so when it comes to improving organisational culture, obviously it's quite bespoke for each organisation, but are there kind of any top tips you would share? Yes, I'm, and I do feel I bang this drum very often, <laughs> but it starts at the top and you need to understand where you are as an organisation culturally. So if you, ha- if you haven't got good data about that, if you're not doing regular, for example, employee engagement surveys or organi- organisational health checks or culture surveys, you know, get some data But the reality is, unless the most senior leaders are are really engaged and aligned and have created a kind of powerful story around the culture Mm. that they want to create, the vision for this, what it's going to be like for us when when we put this culture in place, how we're going to feel, what we're going to be saying to each other, um, and that they're role modelling that, it it just makes changing organisational culture and therefore implementing OKRs for many organisations is quite a significant culture change. It makes it really hard and it may well fail. Um, so, you know, there's there's an additional responsibility on leaders around organisational culture. Um, and then, you know, my advice would be chunk it down, take it in steps, be honest with people about what those steps are, engage people at every opportunity, keep your processes as kind of wider and as inclusive as possible Mm. um, and um, be straightforward with people about actually we haven't done it like this before so we don't really know quite how it's going to go and we're all in it together but what we want to do is involve everybody or as many as possible in choosing you know who who we are as an organization what we stand for and what do we need to to do how do we need to behave with each other to deliver our goals, our, aspira- our aspirations, yeah. our big moves, our strategy, our growth plan. Because, you know, what got us here may not get us there. Yeah. It may not get us there. I think it's really interesting something you mentioned there about a story. Yeah. And it's almost like this is the start of the story or this is a, the turning yeah. point in the story. So where do we want to, where do we want this story? Maybe not to end, but where do we want this story to go? Yeah. What do we want to be in this story? So I think yeah. that's a really interesting way of putting it. And leaders at every level, and I mean, you know, from the CEO right right, right down and through the organisation, anyone who's got any line management responsibility or um, technical leadership responsibility needs to be able to tell that story convincingly in their yeah. own way. Yeah. Rather than, I've been told to tell you yeah. that, which never lands well with people. <laughs> yeah. No, it's almost like I believe this. Yeah. It's, it's interesting in our OKR master training program development program we've got a whole piece around creating a powerful change story and a vision because without okay. it it's very hard to engage people around that yeah. it's like saying oh we're all going to go on a journey so I'm going to say to you Jen right we're going to go on a journey where are we going well, I can't tell you yeah right what do I need to pack well like, 
I don't know. I, I, yeah. I can't tell you. When will we get there? I don't really know. <laughs> you know, we need to have that sort of destination in mind. And that's just natural for humans in terms of preparing for change, really. I'm a yeah. planner as well, so I wouldn't like that. Yeah, no, you wouldn't like that. No, I wouldn't like that either. <laughs> I like to know where I'm going. And most people do. That it, That's part of our makeup around psych- psychological safety. Something and, then, and then we can put a bit of trust in and we'll, we'll step into something unknown yeah. because we've got a sense of where it might be heading. Yeah. Something I've read quite a lot about recently is kind of um, people desiring purpose over kind of a paycheck in their yes. role. So more and more people value that purpose. So it's yes. including them in the vision and including them in that journey because yes. that's where the purpose comes from over the fact yeah. that they're going to get X amount of money for just completing a mundane task, yeah. you know, nine till five kind of thing. So Yeah, really humans, we want well. to feel that our lives have meaning. Yeah, and, definitely. And that, you know, the place where we probably spend most of our time and attention, if we're honest, at work, particularly with the blurry home life yeah. work boundaries these days, that that time, that effort, that energy that we've given was contributing something to the greater good, not just earning profit for shareholders Mm. or not just kind of paying my monthly bills and keeping my family going. We want to feel that, you know, who I am as a person is making a contribution. That's really important. And there are wonderful uh, ways to work with purpose in organisations. I've done lots of that over the years where connecting people to their personal purpose and then you come together as a small group and how can you find a collective purpose and how can you bring that up into the organisational level? And it's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Inspiring, actually, for Mm. people. Releases a lot of energy to get behind something. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. And and can minimise some of the fear and the anxiety around it. Great. Um, Just before we go into any kind of Mm. final thoughts, I just wanted to touch base on something you said there. You mentioned our master Mm programme. If any listeners are listening to this and wondering what that is, there'll be a link in the show notes to our academy where you can find out more about that. Um, So, Georgia, no, it's all right. So, Georgia, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with after today's episode? Yes, I will share one with you that is not my thought, but I will tell (laughs) you the, the, the person it came from. So, Peter Drucker who um, is no longer with us, but was really known as a management guru. Far too many books I, I, I could list to mention, really. But his his famous quote is, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> so that's I always remember that, and I often remind clients of that, because you can have the most fabulous strategy in the world. Research to the nth degree, scoped out, spec'd out, ambitious, realistic, all the rest of it. But if your culture does not generate behaviour that will enable you to deliver the ambition in that strategy, your strategy ain't no good. (laughs) Yeah, it's not (laughs) going to get anywhere. (laughs) No. Great. So, uh, you know, a message from me is it is a piece of work on top of the daily operational job to create healthy cultures and bring values to life in organisations. It takes conscious, thoughtful effort it takes testing, learning and adapting together in a psychologically safe space. And there could be a lot of work just to create that in the first place. <laughs> mm. Mm. 
and I think we could probably go on and talk about this topic for a long time. We um, could. Yeah, but we'll probably revisit it again in another podcast episode in the future. So sure. thank you for joining me today, Georgia. Um, no problem. We hope you found today's episode useful. As always, we always ask for feedback. So if there is anything you'd like to ask Georgia or just feedback on the episode, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. That's either via Twitter or LinkedIn, or you can get us an email at growthatherbygiants.com. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Giant Talk. Thanks, Georgia. Thank you, Jen.